0: Our God, please, we pray, as we hear your word now, please soften our hearts. Uh, Please give us minds that are able to understand it um, and wills that are ready to put it into practice. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Heather.
1: Good morning, everyone. Today's reading is from Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that we may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters. And love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love.
0: Well, good morning. I'm John Warner, and it's great to be with you this morning, bringing this fantastic part of God's word to you. Have you seen any hungry ghosts lately? I discovered something this week from one of my monthly updates from CMS. In numerous East Asian countries like Taiwan, the seventh month of the lunar calendar is Ghost Month, a time where hungry ghosts are believed to roam the world of the living for food and money and entertainment and even souls. A hungry ghost is a soul that's been sent to the underworld to suffer an internal state of hunger for their misdeeds or for not having spent, um, not having been buried properly, I should say. It's a fusion of Taoist and... Buddhist beliefs and traditions. This year, the Taiwan News reported that the gates of hell opened for hungry ghosts to torment the people of Taiwan on Wednesday the 19th of August. And so for 30 days, people, banks and businesses of Taiwan everywhere, they they made sacrifices and offerings to avoid bad luck. I wonder, do you believe that there are personal spiritual beings, powers, demons and forces at work in the world, that there is an unseen spiritual reality. See, why does Paul finish this letter like he does? I mean, what's it got to do with us and what he's been saying uh, in the rest of his letter to Christians in Ephesus? Back in Acts chapter 19, it records Paul's arrival at Ephesus to begin his two years of preaching. Uh, Jesus alone saves, that was his message. Jesus alone is God. Jesus reigns supreme, so far above all the other gods that actually are in fact deceptions of the devil. Known as the mother city of Asia, for some 200,000 people in the Roman Empire had the biggest ports and markets. It was multi-ethnic, multi-cultural, multi-religious with some 50 different religious cults. Like that statue of Buddha that now dominates the horizon down the south of Adelaide, so the life and economy of the city of Ephesus was dominated by the temple and worship of the goddess Artemis or Diana. Her temple was four times the size of the Pantheon in Athens, and it explains why it's one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Artemis, or Diana, was worshipped as the Queen of Heaven, Lord and Saviour, and many believe she wielded authority over the spirits of Heaven and Earth and the underworld. Like most people of the world today, so people in the first century, they believed that the gods, the spirits, the powers, they affected every aspect of life. And so people believed that Diana, she controlled the the fate of the stars, that she could protect people from tormenting spirits and defend you and and your family against spirits causing injury or sickness or plague and harm. Diana had six magical names or words inscribed on her image, words used in spells and incantations. They were tattooed or inscribed into little Artemis god replicas and bracelets and trinkets that you'd wear around your neck. And along comes Paul, preaching Jesus, saying that you don't need to worry about any of that anymore. You've got every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, who reigns supreme above all other powers and authorities and rulers. And so it raises a question, why do we need this gospel armour that Paul says we're to take up and put on? Let's have a look there in verses 10 to 12, verses 10 to 12, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the devil's schemes. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God take up the whole armour of God. Now, the Bible does not, doesn't tell us much about the devil and his spiritual forces of evil. However, when they are mentioned, it's to describe their promised defeat or actual defeat by God in Jesus. The Apostle John, he writes in his first letter, for example, that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And so even though Satan is mentioned in the Gospels as Jesus and his followers' greatest adversary, when he is mentioned in the New Testament, it's actually to highlight Jesus' absolute authority and victory over Satan and the whole demonic realm. The earthly battle between God's incarnate Son and Satan and his minions resulted in the cross and their defeat. Christ disarmed the powers and authorities he he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross we read in colossians chapter 2 you see the cross it looked like a victory for satan but it was actually his defeat the cross is god removing all ground for satan's accusations against jesus followers the cross really is the cosmic game changer and the point that if you're with Jesus you're saved and saved you have eternal life guaranteed, which is why Paul uses the phrase in Christ more than thirty times in this letter to Christians in Ephesus to that if you're in Christ you're saved and safe and so he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might and of course we do this today by clothing ourselves in the gospel and we need to because Paul the Apostle, he says our greatest threat and adversary is not against flesh and blood, uh, you know, people and their schemes, but but rather it's against the devil and the powers of evil in the unseen spiritual world or heavenly realms. We're told that they're scheming or cunning, that the devil will tempt us by playing on our fear of death and, and other fears, that he will seduce us with those things that we love and want, but God's Word says... They're not good for us. And so like with Adam and Eve, way back at the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, the devil's deception will be to to doubt God's goodness, to cause us to doubt the truth of God's word and his, the goodness of God's word for us, that, that other things will make us happier. As Paul comments in the, the second letter to the Corinthian church, he says, Do not be deceived. The devil comes to us not as an agent, um, as an agent of evil, Uh, but as as one masquerading as an angel of light. And so the Apostle Paul, uh, I should say the Apostle Peter, he exhorts Christians everywhere to be sober-minded and watchful, your adversary the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, that we should resist him, stand firm in our faith. See, at the end of Ephesians here, four times Paul exhorts Christians then and now to stand to not be deceived and give up on jesus and paul says we stand if we are strong in the lord's mighty power and keep putting on all god's gospel armor each day and so how do we put on all god's gospel armor i mean what is it i mean there are six parts Uh, described here but they're really all part of the one gospel armor of Jesus Christ it's a word picture isn't it the first one there is God's belt of truth God's belt of truth stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth you see the Roman foot soldier this belt it belonged to the underwear uh, as an essential it literally held up everything and uh, out of the way and look I've got my belt here to remind us when we put the belt on that We've got to remember we're putting on the gospel of truth and the message of truth about Jesus is God's truth for us. Only a true knowledge of God that comes through Jesus will enable us to walk in the light and resist the lies and deceits of Satan as he whispers in our ears, masquerading as an angel of light. In fact, twice in Ephesians, we've been exhorted to be truth speakers. Lies reveal themselves to be children of Satan. Truth speakers show themselves to be children of God. Can I say, if you are in the habit of telling little white lies to to get through, bending the truth, exaggerating it, please stop it, it's dangerous. Just like a Roman soldier, when our belts are in place, we're able to move around freely and stand firm. The second piece of armour that Paul says we're to stand firm, uh, unmoved and to put on is God's breastplate of righteousness, God's breastplate of righteousness. The gospel of God is God himself putting undeserving, unrighteous, rebellious, sinful human beings in the right with himself. And so we read in Isaiah 59... Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. But then God says, But my own arm will bring salvation. And his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head and a Redeemer will come to Zion, and a Redeemer will come to Jerusalem. Of course, God's promised Redeemer has come to Jerusalem, God's own Son, Jesus Christ, who is God's breastplate of righteousness for sinful humanity. On many occasions in Scripture, Paul tells us that Christ himself is our righteousness or our justification before God. It's at Jesus' cross where he suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. What an amazing truth to remember when you pull on, here we go, when you pull on your shirt each morning, get dressed, to remember that you're justified, you're forgiven, blameless, forever pardoned. The gospel of truth, it empowers us to live in righteousness to walk justly in God's love and and purity in our relationships, as Paul has outlined. And so you've got the merging of God's pardon and Jesus-like Christian character. It creates an impregnable breastplate. And so as you struggle with shame or or the guilt of having committed some sin and the flaming arrows of Satan's accusing, they come your way, oh, oh... I couldn't forgive you for that oh you've really stuffed up this time no no for as you pull on your shirt or pull on your dress remember put on god's breastplate of righteousness that that you are justified there is now no condemnation for those who believe well that brings us to god's boots of peace god's boots of peace and i've got my got my work shoes here so you're almost dressed for the day, we're sitting on the edge of, of the bed and, and we're putting on our shoes, you know, and as we do, let's remember to put on God's shoes of peace. To remember that the dividing wall of hostility between people and between people and God, Christ has demolished it, he's destroyed it. That Jesus himself is our peace, he's the Prince of Peace who came and preached peace to bring people to God and create a brand new humanity. So as we stand up and and walk at our homes, let's pray to God to help us to be a peacemaker for this day. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Pray that God will help you and I to, to turn the other cheek, to forgive as God has forgiven you, to not remain angry, but to reconcile with all people, and especially to forgive your enemies. But more than this, We will walk out the door knowing that we walk into a world that is full of many people who don't yet know of God's peace. They don't yet know of Jesus. They're still lost and without hope. And so we want to be sober-minded in our prayers and and always ready and prepared to share this gospel message of peace, to to free those who are still captive in, in Satan's house, in the strong man's house, and need to be set free by the power of the gospel. Well, the fourth piece of armour we'll take up is God's shield of faith. God's shield of faith, there in verse 16. We read, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And so as you walk to the front door and and pick up your briefcase or or backpack, like I've got here, my backpack, let's remember to, to take up God's shield of faith as an indispensable addition to what you are already wearing. Of course, the shield of the Roman soldier in Paul's mind here is, it's not the little round shield, but the big, large, it's called a a scutum, a scutum shield that protected the whole body and was tarred and could put out flaming arrows when they were fired. Again, it's a word picture to describe gospel reality. The Bible tells us that God himself is our shield for those who take refuge in him. In Genesis chapter 15, God says to Abraham, Fear not, Abraham for I am your shield. Fear not, John, for I am your shield. Fear not, Barbara, I am your shield. Fear not, insert your name, fear not, I am your shield, says the Lord Almighty. Colossians 2.15 were reminded that Christ has shown himself to be infinitely more powerful than the devil in his schemes. He's disarmed the powers and the authorities, triumphing over them by the cross. And so as we take up our bag or our briefcase or backpack, let's say with David in Psalm 27 that the Lord is my strength and my shield, in him my heart trusts. Well, the fifth piece of uh, armour is God's helmet of salvation. God's helmet of salvation there in verse 17. And so as we walk out the front door and, and grab our sort of hat uh, for work or for school, and I think I've got one here somewhere, uh, yeah, here it is, that's my cap, yep, put on my cap for work, remember that we have been saved and are being saved and will be saved because Jesus is the God who saves. As the helmet or hat sits on your head, we well, remember that Christ himself is actually our head the head of the body. He's enthroned high above all powers that with Jesus we need not fear, that we will go to be with Jesus when we die. Well, that brings us to God's sword of the Spirit, God's sword of the Spirit, the last piece of armour that we take up. And so as we go to work and we, we sort of take up our pen, take up our pen, we can remember the one powerful defensive and offensive weapon that we take up the sword of the Spirit, verse 17, and and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Holy Spirit is the spoken gospel Word of God, here in Scripture, in the Bible, what Paul's been laying out in the first three chapters, in fact, all the chapters of Ephesians. We read in Hebrews that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce deepest, deepest, into our lives, into our hearts and our intentions. And God's Word, it's its food for hungry souls, so powerful the Word can cut through at lies and deceit and sin and temptation and hate and hostility that, that can come at us each day. It's by God's Word of grace in the Bible that we're to sift and test our motives, sift and test our thoughts, our plans, our dreams, our words, our behaviours. What does that mean when it comes to dealing with evil i mean jesus he spoke directly to satan he took him on and, and he defeated him well the bible is very clear we that we should never ever acknowledge or talk to the devil or evil spirits it's so dangerous it doesn't end well for anyone in the bible who talks directly to satan or to evil spirits and so what do we do when we're struggling to say no to temptation, to to, to stop those lustful thoughts, to resist telling that half-truth or white lie, to, to turn off those thoughts or words of anger or gossip or slander, well, we pray to Jesus, the one who has all power and authority over these destructive powers. The one who lives and reigns in heaven at his father's right hand interceding for you and me day and night the one who by his cross has already stripped satan and all evil of all power over you the one who has died on the cross for all your sin and mine and so paul finishes his final exhortation to christians in ephesus uh, and Christians here this morning uh, at Trinity Church Mount Barker saying that we should pray that we should we should pray like this verses 18 to 20 18 to 20 have a, have a look with me there he, what does he say he says pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication and to that end Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, says the Apostle Paul. See, why is prayer so powerful, so potent? was well, because of the one that we pray to, The God who is all-powerful, all-loving, all-faithful, and who hears the prayers of his people. You see, I've got this hose here. What a hose is to a plant, so prayer is to the Christian life. You see, what the plant needs is not the hose, but the water that the hose carries, doesn't it? And so there is no prayer or life in the activity of prayer itself. Now, all power and life is with the one that we pray to, the God of Jesus Christ. And if prayer is not to this God, it is in vain and powerless, says Jesus. Well, so how are we to pray then? How are we to pray? We're to pray in the Spirit. Now, given what Paul has just said in the previous verse about the sword of the Spirit uh, being the, the Word of God, The logic is that we are to pray and ask God to make all his words to us in Ephesians and the Bible a daily reality in our lives and in our relationships. Perhaps the most important command is here to stay alert, to stay vigilant, to stay watchful. Why? Because the devil and his minions, they are always on the prowl, scheming for a sneak attack. Did you ever play catch the flag growing up? You know where you try to sneak up unseen and catch the flag while a person guarding the flag is distracted by someone else? See, the devil, he's always on the prowl like a hungry, toothless lion, a, a wolf in sheep's clothing, be false teachers, hypocrites, people trying to deceive you away. And quicker than a Harry Potter stupefied spell, so unrepentant sin, it will stupefy us, it will give Satan a foothold. And so we want to wake up to ourselves, stay alert and repent when we become aware of sin in our lives. And as Paul says we're to, we're to pray at all times, at all times. There's never a time when it's not a good time to pray, knowing that these powers that are opposed to us and each other, I mean, they're always watching for that opportunity when we might be vulnerable. Who do we pray for? Well, of course, for ourselves and people in our households, but for all the saints, says Paul. Pray for all the saints in verse 18. Um, start with the people near to you, you know, people in your small group. But then widen it out to people in your church, certainly your pastor. Develop healthy prayer habits. But if you haven't prayed for a while, look, just don't don't fuss and, you know, get yourself tied up in knots. Just say sorry to God and start praying. And so what sort of prayer habits could could you develop? Well, I've got my Bible here, and I've got, I guess, some prayer lists in my Bible. So, for example, I I start off reading a psalm each day. I've got this this list of of, of prayer people I pray for here, all sorts of people, uh, family, friends, neighbours, people who I've talked to about Jesus, uh, people in ministry, uh, people I work with, people who are part of the Trinity Network. Uh, The point is we're all... Pray. Keep praying. Pray always. But we're also to pray for gospel proclamation. Did you pick that up? Verse 19. Pray also for me, says Paul, that words might be given to me to open my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. That's why I'm in chains. Pray that I would declare it boldly as I ought to speak. See, Paul's literally in prison, he's in chains, chained to a Roman guard have ever tempted to compromise in order to release his, you know, get himself released? The word boldly here, it's, it's the idea of speaking courageously without fear. Uh, speaking the whole gospel clearly and with courage. May we be a people who live and proclaim this beautiful, life-saving gospel without compromise. Can I encourage us all to include prayers for God? Uh, to open a door and to give you courage and clarity to be ready always to pray. <laughs> We've been praying for some friends for 15 years. We went away with them a couple of weekends ago and, and we were just surprised. Sitting there, they were reading the paper, Geet was journaling, reading her Bible and suddenly they asked, oh, you've written a lot in your Bible and, and tell me, how many Gospels are they and, and are they really historical? And, and John, you left medicine to go into ministry. Why did you do that? I mean, what does that mean to you? And so that began this amazing conversation after 13 years 13 years of praying for these friends. <laughs> well, Paul concludes acknowledging one of his ministry team, doesn't he? Uh, Tychicus, uh, who is from Ephesus and, and probably also carried a letter to Ephesus and actually another letter to uh, Christians in Colossae. But did you notice Paul ends where he started the letter, in verse 24? Grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. With love incorruptible. Grace, love incorruptible. The last word in the letter here is a word that literally means incorruptible, uh, immortal, undying. God's gospel is love incorruptible. It's a love unstoppable, a love that makes spiritually dead people alive to God and guarantees them eternal life for those who believe. And so, friends, may God in His grace help us more and more know the riches of this love incorruptible. As we together help one another put on God's gospel armour that we might all stand and to keep standing together into eternity and receive that inheritance that is stored there safely for us, our salvation, eternal life with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, dear brothers and sisters, may God's grace be with you all.